You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography, as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. Please be advised that this production may contain strobe effects, loud or sudden noises, nudity, and... But probably not. And now, sit back, relax... And enjoy the show. Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Episode of Theater Geeks Anonymous. Proper. It's proper. proper. I can't Bold roll my episode. R's. So I have to just troll my lips. <laughs> I can't either. You're we, uh, you have reached. <laughs> I said Theater Geeks Anonymous. Theater Geeks Anonymous, <laughs> where we talk about Broadway flops, scandals, and new works. This is Ebony, and this is Pamela, and we we talk about who fails, who sues, and we tell the stories. Ebony's gonna tell it tonight. I am. I'm telling it tonight. Um. Has anybody figured out what our theme is yet? <laughs> Nobody on Twitter said anything I'm gonna to I'm going to give me. you a little hint. Yeah. It is encapsulated per month. Yes. So there's two episodes that will carry this theme throughout, mm-hmm. and it's based on a person. Mm-hmm. That's your hint. No, but that's the whole thing. Yes, but they still have to figure out the person. <laughs> I thought they were just meant to figure out, like... That it was a person. Well, listen, I don't know <laughs> what your people on Twitter have been saying to you, but nobody's been guessing on Facebook. <laughs> no, they haven't been guessing on Twitter either. <laughs> oh, dogs. <laughs> okay, so uh, today's episode is going to be about the musical A Time for Singing. I've never heard of this before. I know. I... Uh, had not either, but it was actually done at musicals in Mufti in oh. 2014 at the oh. York Theater. Okay. Um, they did a reading of it. Uh, the musical A Time for Singing was based on the book 
How Green Was My Valley. I've never even heard of that. Have you not? No. It was a movie. I've never heard of it the movie. It beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture. <gasps> Shut up. Yes. How Green Was the Valley? How Green Was My Valley. Okay. And guess who the... Okay, so the main character's name is Hugh Morgan. Okay. And uh, the the little little person who played Hugh Morgan became super famous. Roddy McDowell. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, that's I, cool. Those are that's one of my favorite things. Is like when I get to see um, Ron Ron Howard, and it says Ronnie Howard. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like in a Music Man. Oh, it's so cute. Mm-hmm. When they're little teenies, so precious. <laughs> they're adorable. Oh, so cute. <laughs> Yeah, so um, How Green Was My Valley uh, was a book written by Richard Llewellyn, and it was published in 1939. Llewellyn began How Green Was My Valley while stationed in India with the British Army. Um, This book takes you through the life and times of a man named Hugh Morgan, which is who Roddy McDowell played. Um, And it's narrated by the grown him, who's like in his 60s. But you, it's basically just like his childhood so okay. it's just roddy playing hugh morgan the whole time and then it's being narrated by him when he's a grown-up cool um at the beginning of the the book you meet him in his 60s and he begins like i said to narrate the story the title of the novel appears in two sentences throughout the book richard llewellyn uh won the american national book award for favorite novel in 1940 and uh which is voted on by members of the american booksellers association cool now, fun fact, Llewellyn claimed that the book was based on his life, but after his death, it was learned that this was not true. <laughs> he said it his whole life. That's hysterical. Including while the musical was being written. And everyone <laughs> believed him. And then when some researchers did some digging after he passed, they were like, um, actually, uh, he was English born but of Welsh descent. <laughs> and his stories were gathered from interviews he had done in the mining town of, I'm going to butcher this, Gilfosh? Gosh? I don't know. Who even knows? It's like that Welsh language. Yes. It's like Gaelic. Yes. It's impossible it's unless really you know it to read it or say anything. I can't. But <laughs> I can't it's spelled know. G-I-L-F-A-C-H, second word, G-O-C-H. Okay. And it's in Wales. <laughs> um, and then there were three sequels to the book. Uh, they are Up Into the Singing Mountain, which is when Hugh immigrates to the Welsh colony in Patagonia, Argentina. Uh, the next one is Down Where the Moon is Small, and that was in 1966. Uh, and that's Hugh's life in Argentina. And then Green Green, My Valley Now, which was uh, published in 1975. And that's when Hugh returns to Wales. Okay. The book was adapted into, like I said, a movie in 1941 starring Walter Pigeon and Maureen O'Hara. Oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah she's great in this. I okay. watched it for this, so I like had yeah. something in my brain. Cool. It's on, uh, it's on Amazon Prime, so if you guys want to check it out, you can check it out there. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. The film beat Citizen Kane that year for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and it also won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Donald Crisp, who played the oldest brother. Cool. I uh, won Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. The book was also adapted for the BBC twice, um, and then, of course, became the Broadway musical that we're going to talk about today. Another stage version was adapted by Sean McKenna, which was performed at the Theatre Royal in Northampton 
1990. And in 2017, the book was also adapted as a short film for the use in the music video for the song Pleader by the band Alt-J, which I don't know who they are. (laughs) Maybe you young kids know who that is, but (laughs) old Ebony here, I don't know who that is. It's alternative. Yeah. Uh, Alternative J, that's what... Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what the J stands for, but it's alternative music. Okay. I like alternative. (laughs) I I mean, I liked the 90s alternative, which is like the last time I listened to it old lady it's okay it's okay <laughs> i'm hip i'm with it <laughs> that just proved it right there <laughs> all right so on to the musical all right so a time for singing had a score by john morris lyrics by gerald friedman um and the book was co-written by morris and friedman together okay uh the origin of the musical begins with john morris who uh, was Welsh-American. He had loved the book and the 1941 film. According to an interview done with Gerald Friedman in 2014, John Morris um, and he first met when they were doing Bells Are Ringing in 1956. Um, Gerald did the dance arrangements. Oh, sorry. No, John did the dance arrangements, and Friedman was the assistant director to Jerome Robbins. Wow. It was Friedman's first Broadway show. Oh, my gosh. First Broadway show, and you get to work with Jerome Robbins. That's amazing. That's bananas. The idea for Time to Singing was John's idea. He had written a few song, a uh, few of the songs and then played them for Friedman. Gerald said he was a wonderful musician and pianist. I encouraged him to write more, and we started working together on it. He worked best when we were in the same room, and we wrote most of it. Music, book, and lyrics side by side. Wait, that's a novelty, working in the same room and finishing the same script together. (laughs) I feel like we haven't really run across that yet. (laughs) No, no. We were both busy doing other things, so it took us almost a decade to get it on. Good grief. I mean, that's pretty normal, though, actually. Actually, yeah, from start to finish. It takes, you know, it can take 10 to 15 years to get a musical up. Um, John and his wife, Fran, had a summer home at, oh, dear, Pemaquid Point, Maine. (laughs) There was a schoolhouse down the road with an old upright piano. Much of the show was written there. John worked best when there was a deadline. I really had to stay on top of him. I was persistent. (laughs) (laughs) We wrote the whole show on spec. We didn't have an agreement with Richard Llewellyn, and he had turned down others before. We were crazy to do all this without a contract. Wow. No kidding. Our agent talked back and forth with his, and one day, out of the blue, we got a phone call. Mr. Llewellyn was flying from South America back to Wales and had a layover of a few hours at Kennedy Airport. He took a taxi to John's apartment, and we sang the show for him. He sat quietly and attentively. When we finished, he burst into tears and said, Boys, the show is yours. Oh, I love that story. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, So I... I don't want to give spoilers because I weirdly I feel like most of the shows I end up doing had like a movie tied to them. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Right? I don't know. It's just like so weird. A Mine movie- are all books. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like we don't know. Like when we choose it, we don't know what. Like most of the time, when we choose the the show we're going to do, we don't always know a ton about it sometimes mm-hmm. there shows we have just been obsessed with and loved so absolutely much. but but there's a lot of times like we have no idea and this one like i a time for singing has 
like that title has nothing to do with How Green Was My Valley. I would have no idea <laughs> right. that this was from How Green Was My Valley mm-hmm. unless I looked it up. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I want to kind of stay away from spoilers if I can. Okay. So I'm not going to. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. Just because I want you to watch it. Sure. Um, so I'm just going to talk about like the differences between the, the Broadway show and the book slash film. In the film, the protagonist is the youngest son in the Morgan family. So like I said, he is the one that you sort of follow. So you see everything through Hugh's eyes. Um, in the film, like I said, he's played by, I put baby Roddy McDowell. Because <laughs> he was. Uh, in the musical, the main protagonist is the young socialist preacher, David Griffith whose character name was changed from, and again, this is Welsh. I will butcher it. (laughs) I am so sorry. If we have a Welsh listener, I would love it. If you would send me, like, we would love it so much. If you would send us a little audio recording. Just a recording of your voice. on Twitter. I love those accents. Yeah, they're wonderful. And Welsh is one that I cannot. It is such a minute difference between a lot of different accents in that part of the world. It is impossible for me to hear in order to do. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. There was a show. I'm sorry. Sidebar. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the show trading spaces? Of course. Okay. Uh, the British version of that was changing rooms. Yes. I did see a few episodes of that. Okay, perfect. So there was one of the designers. She was the really pretty blonde. Yes. Yes. Who was Welsh. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to her and listen (laughs) to her and I would try to get it. It was so impossible for me to hear (laughs) that accent, but I loved it. It's it's really nice. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. And I, scene. <laughs> um, so I think it's Murden uh, Griffin. Okay. I hope that's it. Uh, and he, he comes to the mining village and falls in love with the daughter of the Morgan family. And her name is difficult for me to Engahard. Okay. Throughout the course of the story, four of the six Morgan brothers leave their town for North America and other countries in order to find work. The two youngest ones wanted to begin a union because the mine owners began to garnish their wages as they were able to get cheaper labor. They are eventually discharged, and as the town uh, in which they live has no other opportunities but mining, they must leave to make their way. Um, and then the eldest brother, Ivor, uh, he was married... And his wife, you later find out, is with child, is killed in a mining accident, Aww. which is, like, super common for that. Yeah. You know, for for that type of work. There was a movie that came out two years ago with Antonio Banderas, and it was, uh, uh, I think it was 12 men that were all miners, and they were trapped was in it based mine. on the true story? Yeah, the true story for it was, was a it, like long a week? time. It was, it was a super long time. Um, and the thing that was so disheartening is since that all happened to them, like, you know, a movie's been made, there was a book written, they've not been compensated. Like, mm. they don't even, they haven't even been given part of the proceeds from, I, I don't know if the movie's the same way, the movie might be different, but mm-hmm. definitely like the book and so many other things that have people have profited from their story. Like they've not, 
they've not been given any of the proceeds and you know these people would have <laughs> no career they would they would they would have no there would be no book published there would right. be none of this if it weren't for the, the horrible fact that these circumstances went, yeah. that these men went through yeah. and survived yeah because of their will you i i <laughs> wish i remembered the name of that movie we'll have to like look it up and like post it in show notes or something but i really liked it and um i just think it's an important story and i it definitely gave me context as i was watching how green was my valley and i had seen that already and i just thought this is like the worst mm. work. Like this is so terrifying and so hard. Yeah. And, oh man. Nothing ever good happens. It's I mean, a it's a miracle shaft. to be to 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 go decades with being able to do that work and nothing happening to yeah. you. Besides um, the occasional black lung. It's so awful. It's awful. The so whole thing. Awful. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, David and Engelhard are unable to be together in the book or the movie as the mine owner's son takes a shine to Engelhard and asks for her hand in marriage. Merton says he isn't able to commit due to his calling and she marries um, the mine owner's son whose name is uh, <laughs> Eston Evans. Okay. That's how they said it. Um, the writers of the musical tried to qualify the ending by bringing the two lovers together. Um, the, <laughs> so like I said, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, this is, it's very good. But it was just like one thing after the other, after the other. And I was like, please, can, can anybody catch a break? Can they just? This is the difference between American cinema and European cinema. <laughs> It's that European cinema is yeah. so much more true to life yeah. that there's no hope <laughs> until the very end. And you're like, oh, okay, great. They came together. That's wonderful. Well, but in that, America, that or only, they don't. That only happened in the musical. Oh, I see. Oh, the American musical. Yes, because they were like, oh, Americans <laughs> aren't going to. We can't just leave no. them down like this. No. I mean, I would totally watch the movie again. And like, I don't really mind dark uh, mm -hmm. or endings that are not super uh, happy and yeah. everyone goes off with light and love and crap because like, that's not life. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, they did change it for the musical <laughs> because Americans can't handle it. Um, <laughs> okay. So the show had a tryout in Boston at the colonial theater, which when I was doing this research found out like the colonial theater, like almost closed. It was saved. I'm telling you guys, it's a cool story. Google it. Cool. I don't want this to be like a 20 hour <laughs> um, episode, but it, and it was pretty recent that it got saved. P.S. Moulin Rouge is going to be there for its tryout to come to Broadway. Awesome. Yeah. So I hope that goes somewhere. Yeah. I'm really excited about Me that. Too. <laughs> Me too. Um, the Boston creative team was as follows. Choreography was by Do Donald McHale. Uh, Gerald Friedman was the director. And then the producer was Alex Cohen. And he was also the Broadway producer. Okay. A Time for Seeing began previews on Broadway at the Broadway Theater on May 12th, 1966. And opened on May 21st, 1966. Um, okay, so the, the change, the big change that was made was, uh, 
choreography. <laughs> so they brought on Gower Champion mm. to um, what they called, I guess, sort of fix some of the choreography. Uh oh. Right. Well, who is the original choreographer? Donald McHale. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, so this show. A lot of things I read about it. Um, there is a cast recording that you can get from Amazon. Nice. Um, I could not find it on any streamers, so you would just have to purchase it outright. But a lot of people look at it as being sort of the precursor to shows like Les Mis, mm. uh, Miss Saigon, things like that, that are sung through. Yeah. Because, uh, and since it was like the first of its kind... People didn't like it. They didn't know what to. I, this is the thing I find a lot. I mean, I think we all have seen it. It's just like sometimes with the arts, we are 10 steps behind. Yeah. And the person who created the work is a forerunner. They're a trailblazer and they've created it and they've written it and it gets totally panned. Mm -hmm. And then they die <laughs> or mm -hmm. quit. Or or keep going. Uh, thank you, Stephen Sondheim, for keeping <laughs> on going. Um, and they and we finally catch up and are like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, that this was is brilliant. actually brilliant. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We're slow. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like most audiences, though, have to also be told what's good. Yeah. And so that really does fall on the critics. And some critics just. The critics did not get. They d yeah. I mean, it's so yeah. difficult, too, because it's like, just have a little imagination. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, so Donald McHale is still credited as choreographer. Um, but while the show was trying out in Boston, Cohen, Alexander Cohen, was the one who engaged Gower Champion to rework the musical numbers. Okay. The Broadway cast was Tessie O'Shea. She played the Morgan family's matriarch. Englishman Lawrence uh, Naismith okay. was the patriarch. <laughs> Ivor Emmanuel, also from Wales, played clergyman Griffith. And English actress Shania Will... Wait. And English actress, <laughs> you guys, I'm butchering Welsh, butchering. Okay. English actress Shanae Wallace was Engelhard and George Hearn. This was his first Broadway appearance. It was his Broadway debut. Yes. Oh, that's cute. Isn't I love it? him so much. <laughs> he played Ianto Morgan. Okay. Fun fact about George Hearn. Yeah. Guess what he was going to be before he became an actor? A dentist. No. A uh, lawyer. No. A uh, vet. No. Um, professional bowler. No. What? A preacher. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he said. You know what? It's not too far away from 
from well, theater. Well, you played one in uh, Scandalous. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. Uh, in his theater shock interview, he said, but, you know, I learned about girls and beer <laughs> and that all went down the drain. <laughs> He's, he's honest yeah he was like i can't i'm sorry mm-hmm. i'm sorry god it's not gonna work out um and then tessie o'shea was known for uh she was i guess she was kind of like a bet midler type she was like um like more on like the cabaret scene she was okay. uh a lot of the critics that i read they were like they felt like she was so in the movie um, the mother, she, she's somebody who you, you can tell is like this extraordinarily like strong character. Mm-hmm. She has been raising this massive family on like no money. And, uh, she just, she has an iron will. Um, there's, there's one scene that I love so much. She like has her son take her to this place she should not be going (laughs) and she like threatens to kill everyone because they're doing like something they really shouldn't be doing (laughs) and I was like yes (laughs) like she she just like has this inner strength and power but at the same time the entire town loves her so much okay that's nice um but a lot of uh, critics felt like Tessie wasn't the right person for that. Okay. For that role. That she was bold and brassy, but she wasn't lovable. Yeah. Or, and two, she didn't show, cause it was like a quiet strength that mm. this, this mom had. And, and they felt like some moments were funny instead of being, Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's, well, quiet strength is hard to show on stage. Yeah. And that's like the other thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you I was do need about, a comic relief though. Right. But it, it, from from again, this didn't make sense. we weren't alive when this, right. so we didn't see, you know. And then I didn't see the Mufti, so I don't know. Okay. Um, but I felt like, from what they were saying, they were just like, it wasn't necessarily appropriate for the part or the scenes. You know what I mean? Where like, mm-hmm. of course, yes, absolutely, you need some comic relief, something, especially in a show where the story is this heavy. Like one absolutely. article I read, <laughs> they were like. How green was my valley? <laughs> How is that a musical? But I'm telling you, when you see the movie, there's um, there's like a famous chorus that is like half the uh, like half the extra cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the oldest son, I uh, what was his name? Ianto, yeah. <laughs> um, he he gets called uh, by the queen to like bring his choir to go sing for, for the queen in the movie. Oh my gosh. But, but singing is a constant throughout the entire film. So with that, I was like, I get it. Like I get why he felt like this would make, whoops. (laughs) I get why um, John Morris felt like this would make a great musical. Like it's Mm -hmm. just music really in this, even though it's like words I couldn't understand because they were all, like Welsh and it wasn't really our English. Like yeah. it, just, it wasn't, um, <laughs> it really, it's like this soundtrack that sort of moves the story along. And it's, um, people sing at times when there's just like so much emotion in mm-hmm. the moment that you can't necessarily, there's like not really words yeah. for it. And then, wow. um, there's one scene where like 
when the daughter is marrying the mine owner, mm-hmm. they're like silent because it's so weighty that moment mm-hmm. where like this, this girl that everyone loves is marrying somebody who's sort of like the bane of their existence. Mm. Um, and so they were all really sad about it. And the father comes to them and he says, won't you sing for my, my daughter's wedding? And so like, finally they do sing, but it's just so like this whole moment is so wrapped in all these layers of like, her duty to her family to like provide for them should something happen to the matriarch and the patriarch and, and, um, you know, but her actually being in love with the preacher and like, not like knowing she's going to be miserable for the rest of her life. And I I just, I, I could see it. I could understand why he thought that, that this would, um, work. Okay. So the end (laughs) <laughs> what happened to our to our little show? Okay. Um, so this is from, this is another excerpt from Gerald Friedman. He said, we opened late May 1966 during a major newspaper strike. The only paper not on strike was the New York Times. And they hated you, right? They did. Oh, no. So this is, again, this is a direct quote from, from him. <laughs> He said the uppity Stanley Kaufman (laughs) reviewed it and shot us down good. He was fired from the Times not long after and replaced by Walter Kerr. How I wish Walter had reviewed us. Audiences loved it. And Alex tried some clever PR stunts, but we couldn't build on box office sales because of the strike. So there's also like, you know, yeah. yeah, it closed after 51 performances on my birthday on June 25th. Oh, so sad. So much is timing. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, such a shame. It really, it's crazy, but it didn't get great reviews either because people didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So it had 10 previews and 41 performances. Now here's like what I said about like coming back around with the, the theater critics. Mm -hmm. So Peter Felicia, Um, He wrote on a time for singing. This is a time for singing. I wrote after the fact. He said, I still recall Samuel Hirsch's writing that the 1966 musical, A Time for Singing, restores meaning and stature to the contemporary musical theater. I was furious because I thought it stunk. (laughs) So did most other critics. And the show closed on Broadway after only 41, uh, like, proper, like, opening performances. The thing is, I now feel that a time for singing may have been a little ahead of its time. Mm. (laughs) Duh. This was a musical version of How Green Was My Valley, a pretty ambitious idea, and it dared to rely more on music than spoken dialogue. In much the same way that the British pop operas would do in the next decade or so. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Again, like I said, there's a Warner Brothers cast album of the show. As the years have gone on, I've come to think more fondly about A Time for Singing. Nice. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. And like I said, when things are ahead of their time, we we can't catch up. It's like... We've you know, talked about a lot of shows like that. A lot that. of shows. Um, and one show that was not a flop, but like I've seen like the evolution of how even just like technology had to catch up and how that was like a constant problem for it was... um. Sunday in the Park with George. Sure. You know, so I felt like this last production with like 
Annalie Ashford and Ruthie Ann um, and everyone. Jake they, Gyllenhaal, yeah. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. They, that, that now technology had caught up with Stephen Sondheim. Like it took, I don't, <laughs> like what, 40 years or something for even technology to ke- keep up yep. or catch up with Stephen Sondheim. That's truly amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, because the, the do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's perfect because yeah. our technology can do the, do that. <laughs> but when it was in his head, like, you know. Yeah. And I, I had read other things where people felt like that was a problem with the show or the set design or whatever. It was because Steven is brilliant. Yeah. We just had to wait we, four decades. Yeah. Just wait half a century. That's he's all. He's only in his 80s. It's fine. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> okay, so the afterlife of A Time for Singing. Bing Crosby recorded two songs from A Time for Singing for oh, reprise nice, records. Nice. On May 9th, 1966, with the Johnny Keating Orchestra and Chorus. Cool. The two songs were Far From Home and How Green Was My Valley. They were, uh, they were released as singles. Stereo versions of the songs were released in 2010. A remastered CD of the original Broadway recording was issued in a limited edition by producer Bruce Kimmel on his Chrysalin label on April 3rd, 2013. Uh, the show, like I said, was done in a reading at Musicals in Mufti at the York Theater in 2014. Cool. So that's a time there for singing. Go. Oh, I had a little, I forgot, I had a little bit from the book. So takes me hours <laughs> to get one episode completed it takes me so <laughs> long i'm like i want to like go to every single resource if there's a movie based on it i will watch the movie if i can find a bootleg of the show i will watch the bootleg like i it takes me so long to research this oh man not me <laughs> I just go into Wikipedia and I'm like, maybe this will lead me somewhere. <laughs> I'm, it takes me. I'm just. I think. Me I so mean, long. I'd love to do more. Yeah. I just don't have the time. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I like I at least have my weekends. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so I'm going to read an excerpt from Not Since Carrie. (laughs) Um, Guys, this book is like such a good resource. So if you are interested in um, any of the shows that we talk about, a lot of them can be found in this. We also do Second Act Trouble, Mm -hmm. which is really helpful. Um, Peter Felicia has a Broadway by the Year kind of book. That I have, like, which has, like, the biggest hit and biggest flop uh, from from each year. So I recommend all of these. And also we've talked about Jen Tepper's books. Oh, yeah. Too. Okay, so during the time that Gower Champion had come um, to Boston to help restage some of Donald McHale's numbers, 
Um, Cohen's extravagant publicity machine was turned on. The first 100 ticket buyers in line at the box office received folding chairs with a picnic lunch catered by the Brasserie restaurant. Oh, my gosh. The title song was piped into the lobby and lines at the box office were often longer than those across the street at the Winter Garden. Wow. Where Mame would open three days after a time for singing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The show suffered. So this is some of the problems that... Uh, Ken Mandelbaum thought it had. The show suffered from a problem of focus. It was supposed to be about the Morgan family, but it was presented as the recollection of David Griffith, which is what I said. They well, changed the, the focus, right? Okay. No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. The movie was Hugh Morgan, remember? Oh, yes, yes, and yes. And then they flipped it, and they because because of the sensitivity of the issues with mining and things like that, and and um, there there was like they they felt like. A lot of critics felt like you lose the innocence when it's not the child. Sure. Um, When you're not seeing it through the eyes of the child anymore. So it made some of the problems with this being in like a mining community and all of the the politics of that and what have you just became even more blaringly obvious. Mm. Okay, so um, again, but it presented as the recollections of David Griffith who couldn't have been privy to some of the events that occurred in the Morgan household. Mm. So that's another problem. Mm-hmm. The original novel had been the recollection of the youngest Morgan son, which is what I said, Hugh, which was probably a more workable concept, which I agree. Mm-hmm. And there were too many principal characters in the musical, making it difficult for the audience to be sure who the show was meant to be about. But the thing is, again, this was a huge family. In yeah. the book, it's a huge family. <laughs> so it having a lot of principal characters is like, you i mean and it's been done it's been it's like done me, me before and St. louis it's, it's a very big family, it's a huge family but you have to have everybody right right so i don't know if there's something where like maybe the book needs to be reworked a little bit so that like you can figure out like who you're supposed to focus on like i don't know sure um but while it was still a conventional 60s style book musical a time for singing pointed the way to such later musicals as les miserables and grand hotel Oh, why don't you look at that? <laughs> Which we've been talking about yeah. off, off <laughs> uh, microphone. We've been talking a lot about. Um, and it's staging and use of music. Its score was richer and more serious than that of most shows of the period. And although there was dialogue, the show had far more music than was typical. There was an operatic emotionalism about the show, and much of the music was lovely. Friedman and McHale's staging employed some of the cinematic fluidity and continuous movement of 80 shows, something of the tapestry style that became more pronounced 20 years later, weaving song, dance, and dialogue together in a nonstop staging. This was an attempt, uh, this was attempted in A Time for Singing. While its authors were not quite ready to create a continuous musical, A Time for Singing was a significant step in that direction. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. There you have it. That's a time for singing. It's George a Hearn's freaking Broadway debut. For singing. <laughs> That's not it. That's yeah. a different show That's altogether. A different show. Yeah. <laughs> but but that was really. I had no idea how green was my valley was musical. I had no idea there was a book called How Green Was My Valley. <laughs> <laughs> or a movie. Or a show. Or a show. <laughs> I do. I do recommend. I recommend the movie. Uh, I probably will eventually try and listen to the music because I hear 
One consistent thing that I read was like the music's really beautiful. Maybe there's something in there for me. Maybe I'll yeah, just one have of, to maybe listen. one of Angahard songs. Maybe. Maybe. Or one of the guys' songs. I'm not against yeah. that. Yeah. Sometimes they're better the anyway. I find I always like the boy songs totally. better. I, sorry, guys, but even in Hamilton. Well, girls are written so two-dimensional. Yeah. And I think part of that is because the majority of composers and lyricists and book writers are mm-hmm. men. And they just don't have an understanding that women are actually human beings. Yeah. Uh, same as men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because often, like, these songs, I, I, these songs will, like, center around men, what men are doing, finding a man, something mm-hmm. like that. And I'm sorry. Boring. You guys, you, you guys know I love Hamilton, but even in Hamilton. Yeah. I don't think he passed the Bechdel test. I don't think so either. Because they, there's, I feel like, I can't think of a musical off the top of my head right now that doesn't. Where like the woman's songs are not about a dude. They're always, or about finding someone, or about, you know, ridiculous. Because like, I I have memorized all the dude songs in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I love love them (laughs) (laughs) i'm like would you take a black female george washington is that okay Mm, can we do that let's try it i would like to do that lynn we've got an (laughs) idea for you and i'm only calling you lynn because that's what ebony calls you (laughs) i would call you mr manuel miranda (laughs) (laughs) it's just miranda i know but i like to put it all together I realize that's his middle name. I just thought it would be funnier. Um, <laughs> like seriously? No, I, I like that idea. Yeah, I've got a friend in that cast right now Do you? on Broadway. Are they playing a principal character or no? She understudies Peggy. Yeah, and, Peggy. and Maria. And Maria, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right because it's they're the, the same. same. Yeah, yeah. She actually just went on a couple weeks ago. I'm That's very funny. proud of her. <laughs> Lauren, if you're listening, I'm proud of you. <laughs> she was in Wicked with me. Oh, that's fine. She's an amazing dancer. Well, but also sh- yeah. really good singer. Yeah. She's just, a, and she's a beautiful human being. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. That's super fun. Yeah. When people, you know, get to do totally. fun stuff like that. Freaking love Hamilton. <laughs> Seriously, think about that. I mean, I know what. Uh, the drunk history. Both <laughs> Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton were played by women, and that was awesome. <laughs> love, I love drunk history. You know that's why not? Aside. I mean, if you're just gonna, if you're if you're changing up history anyway, yeah. why does it only can, have can to be, be color? Yeah. Why can't it be gender? I think he's down for that. I have seen. Oh, him say totally. On Twitter, I bet he's he would super be down for that. Yeah, I bet he would be. So we'll see what happens. Well, okay. Oh, you know what? what we need to talk about on intermission. So next time, what? the cursed child. I know I'm going, but I haven't seen it. I haven't either. I'm super excited yeah. about it because they, uh, Hermione, this is yeah. why I was reminded Hermione was cast as a black woman yeah. and JK Rowling was all about it. Yeah. You, we, okay. So <laughs> I think I've told you this story. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, what was the first time I dressed up as Hermione? <gasps> Shut up. Oh, I've done it multiple times. 
I I think I could be Ron. I think the first <laughs> so cute. Well, he has blonde hair in the play, and that's like oh. a, people are like real mad about that. No, too. up in arms. People up are in arms. Up in arms. But he. Uh, but. I think it was for Robbie's birthday was the first time. Mm-hmm. Then I did it again for Halloween. And then I had reposted one of those pictures on Twitter for Black History Month last year because um, the last two Black Histories, they've done uh, Black cosplay for yeah. every day. So there's like a theme for every day. That's and then you can like, dress up. It's I love awesome. cosplay. Yeah, I love it, awesome. it. Love it. Love it. So there was one, I was like looking through and, and there was one day where the theme was magical. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Ooh, perfect day for Hermione. So I like put that <laughs> on, on Twitter and JK Rowling retweeted it. Yay! Okay. <laughs> the onslaught of arguments that happened after. Oh, shut up. Seriously? Number one, because I was black. And number two is because there were, I mean, listen, guys, I didn't actually go out and buy the exact costume. Get over yourself. It's cosplay. Right, right. But the funny thing was, is that I thought, isn't this one? And the first time I had posted it on Instagram, um, the woman who's playing Hermione, Mm -hmm. like she, she liked it on Instagram. Well, and I think in the book too. Nothing is said about her no. color. All it said is like crazy hair. A hundred percent. And that's what JK said. Yeah. But here's the funny part hmm. is that people will apparently, um, and I can't, I don't know which of the books this is in, but there's one line where she's like hiding behind a tree. Okay. And she's, all you see is hair. <laughs> she, no, she's scared. Oh. And it says she's white faced. Oh, well, that doesn't mean anything. Right. It just that means act- she's scared. Exactly. But people point to that. Oh, for heaven's sake. Isn't that the dumbest thing you've ever people heard? People are dumb. Stop being dumb, people. None of you guys, because you guys are great. But, like, those people. Stop being so dumb. I was like, huh? I I didn't even... Would you have... Wait a minute, though. Wait, let me just turn this around. Okay, okay. Can you imagine an <laughs> author writing a description of a character and calling her black-faced? Right. Just saying. Right, right. So that's the dumbest argument right? I've ever heard it in my really life. Is. <laughs> I was like, you, d- you what? That's oh not- my gosh! It's not what that means. Uh, so dumb. It really was stupid. You know what? If if the actual writer of the book is saying that it's yeah. okay, and retweeted my, right? you found my photo on her Twitter feed. <laughs> How stupid are what? Yep. It was on her Twitter feed. The woman who sat on napkins and freaking created the world from her own brain. <laughs> and you want to say what? I need to read that series again. <laughs> it's so good. It's waiting for me. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually ready. I've got it on my e-reader too. Get that all I have to. For, I know. For the play. I'm, I'm so excited. excited about it. I was talking to one of my friends last week and she had seen it in London and of course has her tickets for here too already. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to be so happy. Hermione is so awesome. She's like the best Hermione that ever could have possibly happened. And I was like, ah. <laughs> that's fun. It's, really it's exciting. such a good book. I, you know, that was one. I think I might've told this story already. Probably. I don't know. Probably. I have very few stories to tell. <laughs> that's not I know it's not at all, <laughs> but, um, that when I, I was doing a show called Mikado version 2.005, it I don't was, remember it that. was in 2005 okay. and it was an updated version, modernized version of the Mikado. Okay. 
set in uh, modern day Japan in a subway station. Okay. <laughs> it was really fun. Like all of the girls had, you know, our little um, Sailor Moon schoolgirl outfits and we had our rolling suitcase or like rolling bookcases or um, mm-hmm. backpacks and things like that. It was and it was all about the selfie, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um but anyway, I digress because it really has nothing to do with the Mikado, <laughs> except that when we were backstage, we would all be talking about whatever, you know, we were doing, reading, whatever at the time. And everyone in the cast, I, I kid you not, everybody in the cast except me had read the Harry Potter series up until I think book six, mm-hmm. but book seven was coming out. Mm-hmm. And so they had all planned together to go to Barnes and Noble at midnight mm-hmm. to buy the newest book. And I was like, I mean, I haven't read it, but it, you know me, yeah. if something is hyped, I tend to back off. Yeah. I don't yeah. like, you know, because I feel like, I don't know. I get I th- it. I Sometimes have to... it's never as good. Like people hype yeah. it. It's like cities I've been to where people hyped me for years. And I was like, I mean, it was fine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no, it was beautiful. But I don't understand your excitement over it. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. So this is where I am. So like if someone hypes a book or a movie, I tend to just wait Mm -hmm. and I'll read it later Mm -hmm. or maybe never Mm -hmm. or I'll watch it later or whatever. But this one was not to be because Karen, (laughs) who was in the show with me, said, "Uh uh-uh. And she came in the next night handed me all six books and i'm not even kidding you it was like 50 pounds well yeah handed me all six books and said you get started because you're coming with us to barnes and noble when the book comes out and i was like okay fine i read all six books in two weeks there were some nights that i would be reading it and and you know before bed because i read before bed and this has happened a lot with a lot of different series, but this one especially, I would be reading it and then look over and it was 3.30 in the morning and I'm been like, oops, I have to go to bed right now. <laughs> I've actually read until five in the morning once. And what it's was just, that, book? that was the Fever series by Karen Marie Moaning. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Starts with the book Dark Fever and I think there's... There's quite a few books now. One of them's coming out soon. I'm very excited. But um, that one is based on a girl that uh, her sister is murdered and in Ireland. So she goes to Ireland to kind of figure, like, put put the the screws to the Garda, mm-hmm. you know, the Irish police, um, to get the case solved. But then discovers that she's a, a she-seer. She are fairies, basically, oh, okay. or uh, magical people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is kind of, from that point on really enmeshed in this really uh, scary world that she doesn't understand, but that everyone is trying to kill her because she's got this okay. ability. Okay. Anyway, it's a very good series. <laughs> yeah, five in the morning. But back to Harry Potter. <laughs> read it in two weeks and then I came back and knew I was like so when is the next one gonna come out <laughs> and I was hooked but it was so it's just such a good story yeah, like yeah. she's so good at creating those characters oh, that freaking, you love can I just say I'm so mad at I now I don't remember what I was watching was it the Super Bowl no I can't remember what I was watching now <laughs> but the freaking sequel to the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. They played the trailer and then it was like, it's like not coming out till November. I was screaming at the television. Why I would was you like, do that? Why would you do that? 
I was so mad. I didn't see that yet. Oh, you should see it. Okay. Yes, you should. I just I don't was... go to the movie theater. But you can. Like, I know I can the see first it now. One is like yeah, yeah. But I mean, but it's been like when it came out. I was like, Ugh. I mean, I want to, but Ugh. <laughs> I I saw that one with my friend Shoshana after we did a march, and we we went to the recliner uh, theater on. Um, Lexington and 60th mm-hmm. and uh and soft but like the cool thing was so we got there a little bit early so you could hear the monsters <laughs> <laughs> you're like standing outside and waiting and we were like oh, you can hear the monsters <laughs> we were so excited I need to read that book yeah fantastic piece yeah. yeah maybe I'll do that first I I like to do after because like sometimes so many- I do too but I feel like with this series yeah. it might be the same as with Harry Potter where yeah. it really just enhanced it okay and I didn't feel like because there are a lot of times where I'm like oh you you didn't do this you, yeah you, that's what I always who is worried. that even and you changed the order so much about it and I just want to like I like to like things autonomously mm-hmm. like because actually maybe that movie is actually really good yeah like, they only have two and a half hours. Do you know what I love? What? Seeing a movie where I'm like, I want to read that book yeah. after seeing it. Yeah. I love those kind those of movies. Those are great. Those are great. Because <laughs> I've never read a book that's ruined a movie for me. But I've I've seen a lot of movies that have ruined the books. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really filled that <laughs> episode. <laughs> that, that was. Now? 30 minutes worth of actual episode and a lot of filler. Yes. So you're welcome. <laughs> Harry Potter, Fantastic Beast, JK is awesome. You guys know all that stuff already. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You Bye. know us. We talk about stuff. All right, see you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.